Let's go ahead and uh, open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day that you have given to us. Uh, What a beautiful day. Even, Lord, to have days that are overcast and cool. Father, days where it's good to be in the house and just to relax and enjoy your day. Father, to be with your people, but even more so, Lord, to come into your presence and to worship you. Lord, we just pray that you would uh, just give us a calmness of spirit from the things that We've done this morning to get ready to, to come here the, today and just pray that you give us ears that would be attentive to hear your word and God to understand the things that we talk about this day and to take these things to heart. And may you use them, God, to not only help us individually to grow closer to you, but corporately as well. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, um, before we get started in the actual material, there's a couple of announcements that, that I have to make. Uh, one, um, I just want to say we have gone through this material like at lightning speed in the sense that we've probably not covered as much as we've covered. In other words, there's a lot more that we could talk about that we've not had a chance to talk about in this class. So I'm thinking that... Uh, Maybe after the first of the year, maybe not immediately like January 1st, but sometime after the first of the year, I would like to do a communicants class. So if you think that, uh, you know, and, and typically I've done that for those maybe that uh, are, this is their, their non-community members and they're just becoming community members. And so this is sort of the first time they've gone through this, um, that I just would take more time and go through the things that we believe and help them to understand and ask questions and stuff like that. So. Uh, parents, if that's something that you think your child would benefit from and, and you want to have them go through that class before they become a community member, that would be great. Just let me know so I would know that. But it's not just for teens as well. I've had adults that have gone through those classes and actually said, wow, I've gotten a lot out of that. you know." And, uh, and one church I was in, uh, when I was going through it with their teens, the parents were asking if they could sit in because they're like, Pastor Rick, this is just so helpful. Why don't you do this with the adults? So anyway, especially if you've not grown up Presbyterian or you've not been in the PCA and you don't understand, you know, we've not talked about baptism or the Lord's Supper or, you know, a lot of just different things. We've just sort of covered the very basic of the basic. So if that's something you'd benefit from, let me know and uh, we'll coordinate. And even if it's something where... Uh, you have those that have, are, are already community members in another church and they're transferring their membership, but you think they'd benefit from that, they'd be welcome to be part of that as well. So anyway, that's just sort of a commercial for that. The other thing is, we're, now that we're coming to the end, this is our last Sunday of the membership class, we're gonna, our, our elders are going to be having a meeting in November and a meeting in December. And so I thought those would be good opportunities for at least some of you that feel like, yes, I'm ready to becoming a community member of Kirk of the Plains to go ahead and, and start membership interviews. And I'll talk a little bit more at the end of the class, sort of what that all entails and stuff. But um, anyway, if that's something that you know that you're ready to do, um, please let me know that and we'll go ahead and schedule those times with the elders. Uh, in December, our Bible study ends on December 5th. So I thought since we already have Tuesday nights blocked out, we would just have a session meeting on December 12th, and the elders are able to do that, so we'll have one uh, 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 meeting then. And then the other one, I was sort of going back between December 18th and December 20th, or November 18th and November 27th, but it looks like November 18th, Saturday morning, 
uh, works better for folks. And I think I had like 10.30 to 12.30 or something like that. But anyway, either way, if you want to be interviewed by the elders, let me know. And I would be more than happy to then coordinate a schedule and, and make sure that we can make that happen. Um, I did want to say this. Just because you've gone through the membership class does not necessarily mean that everybody that goes through this class is going to come out saying, hey, I want to become a community member of Kirk of the Plains. And it may be something, too, where this has raised more questions than it's answered, and you may want to talk more about this. And if so, grab me and just say, hey, Pastor Rick, could I sit down and talk to you a little bit more about that? Or, you know, I, I have this – is, this is very unusual, but I've even had – in some churches I've been in um, – where and this is true even of some adults where they've been so shy the idea of meeting with a group of elders really is intimidating and uh, you know if that's where you're and I've seen people who I'm like so why have you not joined the church and they're like and that's what they'll give me the reason and I'm like oh well, we need to work with that so we usually you know work around that and, and get that to happen so anyway if, even if it's something like that it may not be some deep theological question that you have or anything like that, but feel free to, to, to grab me. So anyway, is there any questions about any of that? Okay, that's all the housekeeping stuff. We'll jump into the questions. This week, the handout's very simple. I just listed out all the questions, sort of, uh, you know, the, the five S's that we talked about, sin, Savior, sanctification, you know, uh, support, and submission, and uh, just the need that that meets. And then also... Um, what the vow, the actual vow is. And as you're, as you're making these vows before the church, this is exactly what it is. It's a promise before God and a promise before the congregation that these things are true. And what's interesting, and I hope you've picked up on this, is, is that these things aren't just something that the PCA came up with and said, hey, here's five really neat questions. Let's just ask them this. These things actually come from the scriptures. And so we've tried to look at uh, where they come at from the scriptures as we've gone through this study. As a matter of fact, uh, one person, and they have way more time than I have, they uh, actually went through and did a Google search on these five questions to see how far back and how widespread uh, these questions were used. And actually they said that there's many different denominations that use some form of these questions. And you know, I know different denominations uh, understand the scriptures just a little bit differently. And yet, even though we do have differences, it is interesting that, uh, for the most part, the questions of membership are very similar. And this person did the research back like four or five hundred years in the English-speaking world. And these questions, these are the ones that have been used. So anyway, that's just uh, been interesting. So, But today we're going to look at the last one, which is, um, do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? And in that, there's really three things. There's the fact that we are affirming respect for spiritual leadership. We're affirming our pursuit of holiness and affirming our pursuit of peace. And we're going to look at each one of these. And first of all, just sort of affirming the respect for spiritual leadership. But I thought, you know, it's really going to be hard to talk about leadership if you don't know what kind of leadership that we have. And if, you know, if you've grown up Presbyterian, this is old hat, but for those that haven't, you know, this might be uh, a little bit different than what you're used to. But really, for the most part, there's sort of three forms of church government that we see throughout history. And there's different variations here and there, but for the most part, there's these three. Can anybody uh, impress everybody else and tell us what those three forms of church government are? 
ruled by elders, bishops, or congregation. Okay, so you have the Episcopal form of government, which is uh, the idea that uh, sort of there's a bishop, and we see that in Scripture where Paul talks about the overseers in the church or the bishops in the church, and that a church is ruled by one man. And, and the way that uh, it was sort of described or sort of illustrated, I should say, uh, in, in seminary uh, was this idea of, uh, if you want to think about three faces and then a hat on each head, okay? And with the Episcopal uh, form of government, it's sort of like this. That you have the congregation here, and then you have the leadership up here, and the leadership is separate. The leadership's not necessarily uh, elected by the congregation. It's usually an appointed position, and and so it's, it's, it's very separate. And so the leadership sort of rules from the top down type of thing. And uh, you see this. What's, what's some of the kind of churches that you see an Episcopal? We, we think, well, of course, it's the Episcopal church because it's called the Episcopal form of government. But that's really, that word Episcopal comes from the Greek word for bishop or for overseer. But other than the Episcopal church, can you think of some other churches that have that form of government? Would that be like the Catholic church? Yeah, the Catholic church would be a great example of that, where they would have cardinals, they've got the pope, that's you know, the ultimate top-down guy, and uh, things like that. So that's, that's one form. Then on Almost like the opposite extreme is what Ben said is the congregational. And this, I'm not a very good artist, but this, you know, the leadership almost looks like this. Where the leadership and, and the people are sort of mixed together in the sense that in a congregational, it's sort of uh, based on the doctrine of the teaching of uh, every member ministry, sort of the priesthood of believers, and uh, a common uh, denomination that has more of a congregational form of government would be what? Southern Baptist. Baptist would be a very common one. Independent churches, which I would argue, if you want to sit down and have a discussion sometimes, basically most independent churches are really just Baptist churches. So. You know, but anyway, uh, so yeah, those would be some examples. And and in those denominations, they will oftentimes have a uh, uh, like a uh, maybe even a monthly meeting or something like that, a membership meeting, and they make decisions in those meetings. And, and I had a friend that grew up Baptist, and he said every month they had a meeting, and they said, okay, what matters of business do we have? And the leader, and they do they do have leadership in these churches. In the Baptist churches, many of them, they're referred to as deacons. Uh, I'd say more currently, some of the Reformed Baptists are changing that, and they're having elders. They feel like that's more scriptural, and, and I would agree with that. Uh, but anyway, they do have leadership, but the leadership then would come, and they would have matters of business that they would bring before the congregation, and the congregation, everybody votes. So, you know, it could be voting on whether to continue to meet in this building or to meet in another building. It could be voting on we want to change the color of the chairs and we want to make them all turquoise instead of this uh, red. You know, or it could be voting on whether to get rid of the pastor or not. All in favor, say aye. And, you know, and if you get 51 percent, he's gone. So, you know, it's just uh, it's, uh, it's a sort of a different form of government. Then you have a third form of government, which, oh goodness, 
is, is more like this. If you think of the hat and the head, it's a Presbyterian form of government. Now, when we, when we refer to Presbyterian, that also comes from a Greek word. Can anybody tell me what that means, what that Greek word means? What? It means elder rule. Okay, presbyteros, okay, is a Greek word, and it means elder rule. And uh, as, as you look at that, it's the idea that there's a group of men called elders that oversee the church, and they are, uh, un- unlike the Episcopal form of government, they're not appointed. They actually are elected by the people. And if you go back to Acts chapter 6, you see an example. That's not the only place in Scripture that talks about this idea of sort of electing. And I hate that word electing. I wish I could figure out a better one because we think of political elections. And so we think of it sort of as a popularity contest. But that's really not the idea in Scripture. If you remember in Scripture, in Acts 6, the... the uh, the apostles were, you know, teaching, they were ministering in prayer, but then they had a need of, of widows that weren't being taken care of. There were some widows that were not being cared for like the other widows, and, and the apostles were like, you know, look, is this right for us to stop ministering the word to the people and praying and to take care of these things? No, we want you to select from amongst yourself seven men who are who are godly men, who are full of the Holy Spirit, and uh, let them take care of that situation. And so the congregation did choose those men. So when we talk about election, we're really talking about looking at the group of men within the congregation and saying, okay, these are the men that meet the qualifications that God has set out. And so we're in electing them, we're really just confirming that we see in their lives what God has laid out in Scripture. So it's not a sense of, hey, I like this guy better than this guy, you know, but it's really just confirming what uh, what we see in terms of the Holy Spirit's work in that person's life. Does that make sense? And so those men are elected, so they're part of the congregation, and yet they're, they're leaders over the congregation. Now, uh, where we would disagree, and, and I'll tell you what, we'll just look at one scripture just so you can sort of see what I'm talking about. Look at Titus chapter 1. Would somebody read Titus 1, uh, verses 5 through 7? passage that it refers to putting things in order and the way that they're going to put things in order is is that they're going to uh, elect elders right but then if you look later on what's another word that it uses for elders overseers Overseers. and so the idea of bishops that you see in the episcopal form of government um, we, we really see that actually those terms are used interchangeably 
So it's not like there's the office of elder and then there's the office of bishop. Those two are one and the same. And what happened in the early church, probably even in the first century, uh, that it really the, the church was overseen by a group of elders, okay? But then uh, over time, uh, one man sort of rose above the rest. Maybe there was one man who was more educated and, and uh, you know, in terms of understanding the scriptures and stuff. And so he rose to that level of being like the main elder or the, uh, I can't remember the term, you have to forgive me, but just sort of the one elder, it's like the one ring that rules over them all. You know, it's the one elder that rules over them all type thing. You know, and he rose to that position and so they created this position of, of bishop. But as we understand that from scripture, it's really just uh, one and the same term. So now, as you think about Presbyterian churches, uh, there's you have uh, the elders of a local church Okay, and uh, that, okay, on the back of our bulletin, you have our bulletin, right? If you look on the back, no, no. we didn't give you the bulletin. Okay, anyway, on the, if you did have your bulletin, if you looked on the back, you would see the list of elders, okay, that we have. And, and each one of those elders uh, is an elder of Kirk of the Plains. Now, this is a little bit different, okay? If you're new to Presbyterianism, forgive me because church plants are just a strange bird, okay? But uh, typically what we would do is we would elect men from within our own congregation that would be elders over the church. But since we're starting out and we have no members yet, that's why we're having this class, we have no members, we can have no elders. And so, but, but as Presbyterians, we really believe in that sense of shepherding and oversight and accountability. And so we have to have a leadership before we even have any members. And so what we do is we borrow men from other churches to serve as our leaders. But one day, so we are now what we call a missions church, okay? Which basically is a real church, but you still have your own leadership. But one day, God will identify men within our group who are qualified to be elders, you guys will vote on those men and say, yes, we see that in their lives. And those men will be ordained to the office of elder. And then we will have our own elders. At that particular point in time, we, we call, we're called a particular church, which is sort of like the final stage of the development of a church, okay? And, and these are all, these aren't necessarily biblical terms. These are just what we use as a denomination. So just understand that. But anyway, so... Uh, we have those elders. Well, those elders uh, together as a group form what we call a session. Okay, and the session is the group of elders that oversee and rule over a church. Now, depending on what kind of PCA church you belong to, some PCA churches, when you're an elder, you're an elder for life. And you're going to serve on the session for life. So, you know, the elders in the church... All the elders that they have in that church are part of that session. Other churches, and this is probably probably a little bit more common, is that you have elders who are over a church, but maybe there's a group of five of those elders that will serve on the session for any one period of time. And, and those elders will serve for a period of years, maybe for three years or six years, and then they'll rotate off to get a break, and then other elders will be then elected to that session. So you have some elders that are on the session and some that aren't. But the session is the, the group of elders that makes the decision for the church. 
Does that make sense? Okay, then, so you have that here at this church, and let's just say that's Kirk of the Plains. But then you also have over here Heartland Community Church, you have over here Evangel uh, Community Church, you have over here Manhattan uh, uh, Presbyterian Church, and uh, all those churches are in the same geographical location called Kansas, okay? And so those churches together and their elders form what's called a presbytery, okay? A presbytery. And our presbytery is called Heartland Presbytery. And the, those group of churches oversee all the churches in this area. And, and presbyteries do things like uh, when there's going to be new elders that come into a presbytery, like for example, when we elect our first group of elders from within our body, the presbytery will actually examine those men to make sure that they're qualified men uh, to stand for the office of elder. Presbyteries also uh, plant churches. Presbyteries also send out missionaries. Presbyteries also examine uh, pastors, new pastors coming in. So if uh, Kurt, when, when this is to the point where I retire and Kirk of the Plains is looking for a new pastor. That man has to go before the presbytery. The presbytery will examine him and make sure that he is a qualified man and he's orthodox and he's not had some strange ideas. Presbyteries also help you as a church with people like me. So I am an elder. People call me pastor. Okay. And there's two kinds of elders that we see in scripture. We see a teaching elder and his primary function is to do what? Teach. That's pretty no-brainer. And then you have ruling elders, and their primary purpose is to rule or to oversee or to shepherd or to care. Now, that doesn't mean that teaching elders don't shepherd the flock, and it doesn't mean that ruling elders don't ever teach. You know, it's just that that's their primary function is to be teaching and ruling elders. And as a teaching elder, I am not a member of Kirk of the Plains. I will never be a member of Kirk of the Plains. I am a member of Heartland Presbytery. And the reason for that is this. Let's just say I start causing you guys grief, okay? All of a sudden, I'm not teaching what the Scripture's teaching, and Bill's sitting back there going, hmm, Pastor Rick doesn't sound very orthodox. And Tim's like, yeah, I agree. I'm sort of listening, and I have concerns, you know? And then uh, Dan says, yeah, I've been thinking about that, too. I think we need to go talk with him. So you guys come talk with me, and I'm pretty stubborn, and I'm like, yeah, you guys are all wet. I'm the pastor. You need to just shut up and listen to me, and I'm the boss, and just let's go on. And you go, okay, we need to go talk to Presbytery. And so you can take this situation to Presbytery, and you can say, hey, we love Pastor Rick. He's been a good pastor. He's done a good job. He's starting to work with Wayne. But I think there's some issues that we need to talk about. And Presbytery's like, oh, really? Well, let's sit down and talk. And then we'll all sit down and talk, and, and they can then rebuke me or whatever, or correct me or whatever the situation warrants to help get me back on track. I get back on track, come back, everything's great. But if not, if I am stubborn, and unfortunately I've probably seen too many of these situations where the pastor is just stubborn, and the presbytery may have to excommunicate that pastor. And so that's why I'm not a member of the congregation. It's because if I need to be disciplined, you know, because I'm your shepherd, I'm one of your shepherds, you know, it's oftentimes very difficult to do that. But you guys have that recourse. Now, the opposite is true as well. Let's just say you've been a great congregation, but all of a sudden you start getting very stubborn. And you get very fixed in your ways, and, 
and you're very rebellious and you're like, you know, we're just going to go, uh, we're going to start having ballet during the worship service on Sunday morning or whatever. And I'm like, whoa. And so I talk with you and you don't listen. Then I can go to the Presbyterian and I can say, look, this church is like going off track here. We need to sit down and talk. And Presbyterian will come in and sit down and seek the meeting. Yeah, that's a quick question. Sure. We eventually go to session first and then go to the Presbyterian. Yes, yes. You're right. You're right. So, uh, yeah, in both of those cases. Because then you can resolve it with your, your head elders. That's right. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. You would go to the session first and then after that, then you would go to the Presbyterian. Otherwise, so. it's like jumping the toilet. Do I? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Start at the lowest level. Yes, you always sort of start at the lowest level. And then, so you, then you, my board's not big enough, but if I had a bigger board, I would draw other presbyteries. And then around all those presbyteries in our denomination is what we call General Assembly. And the General Assembly meets once a year, and we send representatives from every church, ruling and teaching elders, to the presbytery. And, and there we do the work of the church as a whole. And we do a lot of the same things. You know, uh, we'll examine men who serve on permanent committees of our denomination. We'll send out missionaries. You know, we'll do those kind of things. But there's also, uh, you know, and I didn't mention this with presbyteries. What I just described to you would be called discipline cases. If a pastor got out of line or a congregation got out of line, it would go to the session first. If, if it wasn't uh, addressed there, then it could be appealed to the presbytery. And if it's not resolved there, it could be appealed to the General Assembly. When the General Assembly gives their decision, that's it. There's no more appeal. That is the decision that a church and, and its leadership has to stand by. So anyway, that's sort of uh, who we are as, as a denomination, just so we sort of understand uh, that form. And, you know, if this is all new to you, you may go, you're, you're, Pastor Rick, you're going to have to explain this again, and that's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't hesitate to say, now, what exactly, again, is an elder, or what do you mean by the session, or that's fine. I, I know congregations that have been around for a long time that sometimes struggle with that, but it is really good to have a, a good understanding of sort of what our form of government is. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of churches say, you know, this is like too much technicality. I don't want to take the time to learn this. Well, the reality is then they have a trouble, they have a difficulty in the life of their church, and they don't know what to do about it. And some churches have even felt stuck in the situations they're in because they don't know that they have the right to take that to their session or then to take it to the presbytery. So this, uh, unfortunately, is... Uh, uh, a very helpful thing to have that a lot of people don't know about. But anyway, any questions about church polity before we sort of jump into? So point of clarification, where, where, point of clarification, where would you put churches, say at the time of the writing of the Westminster Confession, like congregate, they were called congregation, or Baptists that were elder ruled but didn't have the whole Presbytery General Assembly thing, and your little three hats and now. Right. You know, like John Owen was a congregational. All right. He wasn't the congregationals of the sort where they were voting in the color of the carpets. He's right. assuming they had elders ruling that church. Or the, the London Baptists had, they were elder ruled, but they didn't have a, you know, a presbytery to go yeah. to. So right. In your, yeah, so, so, where are they? so maybe, and I, maybe I'm not getting to what you're talking about. So we talked sort of a little bit about the difference between Episcopal and Presbyterian. That as Presbyterian, we see that yeah, there are bishops, but that's just another name for elder. You know, in the same way here, 
with Presbyterian that you know you're you're sort of accountable to one another. Uh, with more of a congregational, there is no accountability. The final authority is the leadership of the church that you go to, and there's really no connection with anyone else per se. Uh, I would say this that um, today. There are more and more, like I said, Reformed Baptists that are probably uh, going more with elders than deacons. And and, so, and they function, I think, a little bit differently. They function, and, and maybe, Greg, you can help me here a little bit with this. But my understanding is they function more like an elder of a Presbyterian church. As a, and, as a congregation. Yeah, so, they, so the elders more make the decisions of, of the church. It's not like it's a free-for-all where everybody can just vote and do whatever. Okay, but having said that, they still, the final authority is that congregation. Now, I've heard of some churches like with Mark Dever and, and some uh, Al Mohler and some of these other more prominent Reformed Baptist men who they will have not necessarily denominations like we have in the PCA, but they may have this association. Associations. Maybe? Yeah, I say associations. Yeah, John MacArthur probably is another example where they'll have sort of associations with other churches that says, look, you're, you are dear brothers in Christ. We value your opinion. We know that you believe the word of God. If you see us in error in any way, you know, come talk to us about that. You know, so there's no official. They don't have to like go and ask their permission to do something. You know, for us in the Presbyterian church, there you know, uh, as a church, we can't call a new pastor and come and, and be part of the new pastor, Kirk of the Plains, until the Presbyterian has approved that man. So we have to get Presbyterian's approval before that man can come to the field, what they call come to the field and serve in a church. With this, it's a more of a loose association, but it, it is it has a, a little bit more sort of a mixture of what I originally described as congregational and Presbyterian. So is that... You would have it as congregational sort of move the hat up a little bit. Yes, Not yes. anything... Above that, the, it, it actually would look a lot more like this, right. the except level, the difference you. is where where we have uh, more of a organized uh, accountability between churches. There's, you know, for us, there were, if you drew all these little churches, uh, there would be uh, solid lines of accountability between these different churches. With the Reformed Baptists, it might be more like dotted lines type of thing. So it's, you'd say it's a variation of congregationalism. Yeah, okay. it's it's sort of yeah. So anyway, but yeah. So what what does that mean? Well, let me uh, let me read a scripture if I could from Hebrew. You could look there too if you want. But Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse seventeen, and I've I've just picked out one verse. We could look at different uh, verses that uh, that would talk about these things, but just for the sake of time. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 said, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So basically what it is is, you know, we are called by Scripture to, uh, to submit. It uses the word submit to the leadership of the church. You know, now what does that mean to submit? Yeah, it's it's that sense of placing yourself under the authority of that person that that is over you. Okay. Now understand this: that 
you know, as Scripture talks about authority and elders having authority over a congregation, it is very much the idea from Mark chapter 10 that talks about servant leadership. It's not like myself and the other elders stand over uh, Kirk of the Plains and say, okay, you people, you will shape up and you'll do it this way. You know, that's not the kind of leadership that Scripture talks about. It's really more that those that are over you are responsible for your care and your well-being. So it is a sense in which those elders are, are teaching you. It is a sense where those elders are shepherding you and, you know, just seeing how you're doing spiritually and how your families are doing and just nurturing you and making sure that you have what you need to grow. So, for example, that's what Mark and Katie do with Olivia. You know, they are over her. They are her parents. They lead her. But that's not meaning that they're sitting her in a chair and every day they're giving her a lecture. The way they serve her is, is that they get her up every day. They feed her. They bathe her. They clothe her. You know, they make sure that she has what she needs. When she does step in line, there will be times when they will have to correct her. And in the same way, it's true, unfortunately, even in the church, there are times when there are maybe individual Christians in the church that refuse to obey what God's word clearly says. And then there are steps of discipline. And I'm not going to go through all the steps of discipline, but a lot of people think of discipline only in terms of excommunication, where you get kicked out of the church, you know, or that's how they think of it. But, you know, really there's a whole process that leads up to that. And it starts with just going to someone and saying, brother, let me, let's open the scriptures and let's look at something. And just showing them the error of their way and encouraging them to, to repent of their sin and turn back to the Lord. So, so it starts with that, that sense of that gentleness and that love and that care. So anyway, so that's sort of uh, what we see there. Now, um, what that means is because there is a sense of respect for spiritual authority and there is, as we know, uh, the idea that there's, we're elder ruled, then that means that as churches, we're not personality driven. You know, it, the church is not built around me. I mean, the one thing that I do know for certain is I am going to get older and I am going to eventually set down as pastor of Kirk of the Plains. If nothing else, when I'm promoted to glory and God takes me from this earth to the next, I will no longer be your pastor. You know, and so there will be other pastors that will come in. We know that the elders that you have now are the elders that we will have for a certain period of time until the Lord raises up men from our own our own number. And then we will have other elders that will serve over. So that, that leadership changes, you know, because who is the head of the church? Christ. Christ is the head of the church. So he is really the personality that drives our church, or is to be the personality that drives our church, but no human person. And so that leadership will change from, from time to time. Um, I, I will say this, um, that right now, we're, like I said, we're sort of in an unusual situation. But let me just tell you, when you become a member of Kirk of the Plains, what you're doing, just to make sure that full disclosure, when you become a member, you are saying, in essence, I accept the leadership of Kirk of the Plains as it is right now. So those men that are on the back of the bulletin, including myself, uh, you are saying, I, I acknowledge them as the leadership of Kirk of the Plains, and I am willing to submit to them. So when you're talking about submitting to the leadership of the church, those are the men that you're saying that you will submit to. Now, at the point that we become a uh, particular church, 
we will then have our own leadership, and you guys will actually, like I said, vote and acknowledge that those men will be leaders, and that means including myself. So in one sense, I'm sort of doing all this with church planting, but we could get to the point where we become a particular church, and you could say, yeah, we don't want Pastor Ray. <laughs> you know, I think we want to call a different pastor. And you could do that. That would be, that would be your right. You know, but in the meantime, until that time that we become a particular church, you were saying that you agree to the leadership as it is as established. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. So with that then, for those who are not familiar with all the elders on session, since they're not in our church right now, when we're under, when we are doing our member interviews with the session, yes. then can we also, I mean, is it appropriate to also somewhat interview them to get to know them, the ones that... Yes, that's that's very appropriate. Now, uh, well, we may only have a limited amount of time, right, exactly. so it's not like you can just you know sit around and shoot the bowl for a couple hours, have a beer <laughs> together, or you know do whatever it is that you want to do. Thank you, Mike. Uh, but uh, but yeah, but that's that's very appropriate. And I would even encourage you if you want to to talk to some of these men to get to know them, you know outside of even that membership interview. And I, I really hope down the road as we're, we're getting more organized and we get more established and set in the place, maybe to have some events to where our elders come and they can be part of it. We can't we can just have a meal. We can't just sit down and sort of shoot the bull with them and, and get to know them and talk with them and, and stuff like that. So anyway, um, yeah. And, and feel free to ask me too about any of these guys as well. I'd be more than happy to tell you a little bit at least as much as I know so anyway okay so as we as we uh, see in this passage in Hebrews so there's that sense of submitting ourselves to leadership their sense of keeping watch over your souls but I think it's interesting that at the end Paul says let them do this with joy and not with groaning because that would not be an advantage to you and you probably understand that. You've probably been in the position of leadership over somebody in your life. Even if it's just watching the nursery, you're, you're, you're the leadership of those little kids to care and to watch over them. And you know that when those kids behave, oh, it's a good day. When they don't behave, you get done and you think, I don't ever want to watch church nursery again. That was just awful. You know, it's just it could really be a challenge. It could be the same way for a church, you know, and uh, or for the leadership. You know, as the congregation loves the Lord, we're not going to be a perfect congregation, but as we love the Lord, there's going to be a sense in which it's going to be a joy for those elders to oversee your souls and, and to care for you. So anyway, any questions about that whole thing of... Uh, of I think you alluded to it. It's the idea that if the elders go astray from, say, biblical teaching and the teaching of the confession... We don't have to submit to that because you're not submitting to what would be proper, you know, all of a sudden you became Unitarian or something like that. We have recourse and we're not to submit. So it's not an absolute submission. Right. No matter what. You, now there's recourse, you go to the sessions if, if there's some sort of issue. But right. There, you there, guys are under authority. The elders are under some authority too. Exactly. So um, to, to, to speak to that, there are some churches I've heard, and this just makes me shudder every time I hear it, where churches will say, we're the elders, you need to just listen to us. Okay, the reality is, in one sense, the elders are not 
the final authority of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he is the ultimate authority. And he has given us his revelation and his word. And so that's what we use as the authority in, in, in uh, the church. So if elders do go astray, we have a standard by which we can hold out. Like what Greg was saying, if, if the church all of a sudden decides it wants to be a Unitarian church, it's not like you have to just listen to that. Now, I, I would say this. You cannot just walk away from error like that. You cannot just say, okay, this church is going astray. I'm leaving. You have a moral responsibility to confront those elders and to hold out the word of God and to say, brothers, you're going to in error. This is what God's word says. Now, if they don't listen to that, you know, and, you know, then you can't stay in that church and you would have to leave. I, I understand that. But we have to. And, and honestly, guys, this really isn't just a matter of something that should happen between the, the leadership and the congregation. This really is something that should happen amongst all of us, that we have always we should love each other enough that if we see somebody in error that we would go to that person and we would talk to them now that does not mean that we want to become a church where we're nitpicking at every little sin that we do because if that's the case i'm going to keep you busier than you want to be because i sin a lot you know but we're talking about people who are in habitual sin we're talking about people who are in that sin and they're not seeking to repent of it that's when the discipline takes place if a person is, you know, just living the Christian walk and they are struggling in their sin and they want to obey the Lord, and you know that, then I mean, that's right where we all live, and and that's fine. But if you see somebody's heart becoming hardened, you know, like you did in Corinth, where you have a man that had was, you know, uh, took his father's wife as his wife, you know, which is clearly a sin that even. The Bible says even the pagans would abhor, you know, and the church did nothing about that. And Paul came in and said, you got to deal with this situation. you got, you got to deal with this. This guy is living in sin, and he's not even sorry for it. This woman's living in sin. She's not even sorry for it. You need to discipline in hopes that they will repent and turn to the Lord. So anyway, that's just something. I say that about discipline. I don't want you to, to walk away with the idea that we're just going to be this big disciplinarian church, but... The reality is, is that many churches don't think in terms of discipline. Matter of fact, I think a lot of the mindset out there, and we're going to have to overcome this as people come and join our numbers, is that many times churches are looked at from a consumeristic perspective. And when people walk in that door, what they expect is they expect to be the leadership of the church. They expect the church to conform to their desires and their wishes to some extent. I'm sort of overstating that case. But there is a sense in which people, you know, want you to sort of cater and to meet their needs. And that's really not what we're about. We're really more concerned about their souls than we are about their needs. You know, their needs are only earthly. Their souls are eternal. And we want to see them uh, go to heaven and, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ while they're here on this earth. So anyway, so discipline is something that we take seriously just because we care about people. You know, so that's the perspective. And, and really even more than caring about people... We also are concerned for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that people not be not out there calling themselves Christians and yet living like the devil, you know, and people going, oh, is that what Christians are about? Christians are like sleeping around and Christians are cheating people in their business and Christians are getting divorced and Christians are, you know, really? You know, we need to protect the name of Christ. And so we need to make sure that we're, we're helping each other. Did you want to? No. Yeah. Uh, 
And the nice thing about the PCA is that they do not own the, the church. That's true. So whereas in some denominations where they win an heir, the church can just say, we're not going to be part of you anymore. Yes. Then they can say, well, we're taking the building. You're going to have to go on your own way. Whereas in the PCA, uh, you know, if something happened down the road where they decided for men elders or gay marriage or whatever, we go away and leave the yeah. denomination. And in the old PCUSA that the PCA came out of, uh, if if one person wanted to stay in the PCUSA, the denomination would take the building away from the entire congregation and give it to that one person. And so entire congregations lost their building. And if they said, but we want to keep our building, then the denomination would say, well, then you got to buy it back from us again. And so they had to pay for it twice. But, and so in the PCA form, they said, we're not going to do that. If a congregation you know, feels like God is calling them to leave, they take their, they can take their building with them. They can continue to exist. So they could just take the name PCA off their sign and they could associate with whatever denomination they wanted to. So anyway, yeah, that's a good point. So, okay, let's just talk real quick about the peace and the purity of the church. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. We were in chapter 13. But Hebrews 12, verse 14, talks about this whole idea of peace and purity of the church. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So he's urging us to pursue growth in, in godliness or pursue in holiness. But uh, when, we ask, uh, when we ask that in the context of a congregation, we're especially understanding that our, um, that our growth in holiness doesn't just affect us. Now, before I get into that, though, let me just say this. When it talks about studying the purity of the church, it's, there's also a sense of understanding what the church teaches. There's a desire to grow in godliness and holiness. And if you don't know what the scriptures teach, you're never going to grow in godliness and holiness. So implied in this question is sort of a sense of giving yourself to study the word of God uh, also, we believe, as I talked about before, that the Westminster Confession of Faith, larger shorter catechism, is a good summary of what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach everything that the Bible teaches, but it just takes some very important things for us to understand, like you know who is God and things like that, and how are we to live our lives and things, you know, and it pulls those things out and puts it in a question and answer form to help us to understand. So I would encourage you to give yourself to to read those things. And, and if these things are difficult for you to understand, grab somebody else in the congregation and say, you seem like a smart person. Help me to understand these things. And, you know, we hope to do that to help you to grow in your understanding of the scriptures in Bible study and Sunday school, you know, different things like that as well. So we'll do our part, you know, and like I said, we're, we're just there's so much more I wish I could have done in this class that, you know, I'll cover in a communicants class. But we'll also cover over the number of years that the Lord allows us to be uh, Christians. But um, as we think about, about this idea of holiness, you know, can anybody tell me the story of Achan in the Old Testament? What happened with, with Achan? It's like Achan, well, I remember talking about that in Sunday school years ago. Took some of the plunder from Jericho. Uh-huh. And uh, buried it. 
when God said to either destroy it or there were some things that were to be given over to the tabernacle to God. So they were supposed to destroy the city, not take anything. This was a city dedicated to the Lord. So everything was to go to the Lord, either be destroyed or kept. And, uh, and Achan took some things and he buried those things. And then they went on to the next city, which Jericho was like a well-fortified city. Ai was just a puny little city. And they should have easily conquered that city. Matter of fact, they took less men because they're like, oh, this is a piece of cake, no problem. And they basically got, you know, defeated terribly. And many people died. And, uh, and Joshua cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, what happened? Can you help me to understand this? And God said, Achan sinned. You know, I mean, he went through a whole process to identify that it was Achan. But he said, Achan sinned. And as a result of that, not only he, but his entire household were put to death because of their sin. And the point that we see in that is that our holiness really impacts other people. And so, you know, we may not think that. And we think so individualistically. We, you know, and, and you hear even politicians, you know, like, when, uh, well, I shouldn't give examples. But, you know, the, you hear politicians who say, well, that's, I do that in my private life. So why are you getting on my case? You know, I, I'm the president or I'm a congressman or whatever the position is. And, you know, you should just worry about that. You shouldn't worry about what I do in my personal life. But that's not, you don't see that kind of dichotomy in scripture. What we do in our private life actually will affect the church. You know, so if, if, if you're a person who is given to pornography and you're viewing pornography on Friday nights, you know, when nobody's looking around and you think, well, what's this going to hurt the church? It will affect Kirk of the Plains, that hidden sin. You know, or if it is something where you're living beyond your means and, and greatly in debt and stuff, that's going to affect Kirk of the Plains. And so God calls us to that sense of holiness and not only personally, but also encouraging us to help each other, which we've talked about that in the past as well. And, uh, you know, and to seek that purity um, within our midst, that sense of growing in our knowledge and our understanding, but also in our practice of walking with the Lord. And out of that purity then flows then the idea of that peace. You know, having uh, 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 just sort of giving ourselves to the, the peace of the church as well. Now, it's interesting because, you know, you can't really have peace until you first have purity. Right. So that's sort of why the order in which they give that to. And in one sense, that should always be a tension with us as a church, that purity and that peace. And there are some people who want to give themselves to great study of the Word of God and they're, they're intellectuals and they love theology and, and all that kind of stuff and that's great, but relationally they're, they're not very astute and they cause a lot of great uh, tension and a lot of difficulty in the church because maybe that, all that theology is not so much reaching their heart, it's just reaching their head and so there's a lot of pride and a lot of arrogance. But then there's other people who will say things like, yeah, well all that theology just puffs you up so, you know, it's all about relationship. And they're not really so worried about understanding what God's word says. And so what happens is they leave themselves open to error. And they bring that error in the church. And they come across as very compassionate and loving and sensitive. But they're also not walking in the truth. 
And so th- this, this uh, question also is to bring that tension in our lives where we are to feel that pull on both sides to both walk in the, the purity of the church but also in the peace of the church as well. And as we live in that tension, it's going to help us to be more balanced between those two. So, yes, Would Would you say uh, understanding um, how progressive sanctification helps with that, where we are all being sanctified day by day, so we're not, and we're not going to be perfect here on earth. Um, so understanding that, but at the same time coming along beside people and saying, let me help you to grow in your understanding of Christ. Yes. So there is that relationship there, understanding the weakness that we all have. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, that relationship extends to helping them grow in the purity. Yes. And, and that goes throughout the church. Yes. And, 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 and you also have to understand that part of that whole thing of peace is an attitude of forgiveness. Because the reality is, is our sin creates anything but peace. You know, and the biblical idea of peace is shalom. It is, you know, peace with God, peace with you as other people, peace with the world in which God has put me, peace with myself in terms of my own soul. So that's sort of that idea of peace. Well, sin brings, you know, results in that sense of selfishness, which then destroys all that peace. And so if there's also going to be peace in our midst, we have to have a church that's very given to forgiveness. And, and asking for forgiveness and granting forgiveness and uh, um, and understanding. And I, and I do want to say this just real quick. I know I'm a little over time. Forgive me. But I think forgiveness is a really misunderstood teaching in the Bible. And so let me just give you a real quick understanding of biblical forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness does not deny that a wrong has been done. It acknowledges that what you did was really wrong. As a matter of fact, because of what you did, you do owe me. There, there is a debt that needs to be paid because what you did was wrong. Okay, but where forgiveness comes in, forgiveness comes in and says, you do owe that debt, but you know what? I'm going to release you of that debt. And, and it's, it's taken care of. And we get that from Christ, where he gave his life and he said, you do owe my father for your sin. And you do deserve to go to hell. I'll pay the price of that penalty. And you know what? That's taken care of. And so we sort of model that same thing. So sometimes you hear people say things like forgiveness is forgetting. It's not really. You still know that that person did wrong. But what you're saying is is that 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 debt that they owe, that debt is no longer gone. So what happens is that when somebody else in the church comes up to you and says, you know what? I heard what so-and-so did to you. You know, you don't say, yeah, it's okay, don't worry about it. You know, you say, yeah, you're right, what they did was wrong, but you know what? That debt's been taken care of. It's no longer owed. It's, it's, it's off the table now. And we can move on. And when Satan comes back to you and wants to say, really, I can't believe they did that to you. Same conversation with Satan. You know, you're right. There was a wrong that was done, but that's been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that it's been taken care of, and we release them from that debt, and we move on. And that we just have to constantly be in that rhythm as a church of granting that kind of forgiveness. You know, when uh, as we come and ask for that forgiveness. So, anyway, all right, uh, boy, this is like going really fast. Um, okay, so this is what what I need you to do. Um, if you if you 
know that you want to become uh, a community member, then like I said, you just let me know. It looks like the 18th and the 12th, 18th of November and the 12th of December are going to be the two dates. And uh, you just let me know. It'll sort of be first come, first serve. Uh, whoever comes, you know, then we'll set up those times. Then for those that who do want to join, and if there's not enough time before the end of the year, then we'll have other session meetings. We have to have session meetings on a regular basis. We'll receive you into membership as we can. And, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, because you're not a member, you can't keep the nursery now because we are just sort of starting out and stuff. And, and it may be that you desire to be a member, but we're just not able to accommodate you in a timely fashion. So you can continue to serve in the church, you know, so don't worry about that and stuff. But uh, anyway, when you come to me, you tell me that you will meet before the elders and the elders will be sitting around a table like this. And, uh, you know, that can be a little intimidating. I will be there, too, as well. And I'll sort of be moderating or guiding that meeting. And, and I'll be more than happy to, uh, you know, help you. And if, you, if you're nervous about that, you come talk to me. And uh, I think I can help you with that as well. As you meet with the elders, they will hear your testimony. Uh, they may ask you other questions as well. They're not going to ask you to outline the book of Job or something like that. It's not going to be like that. But they may just ask you about your background. They may ask you about your spiritual walk with the Lord or, or something like that. You can also ask them questions, like what Katie said. You know, you can get to know them as well. And uh, and then after that interview, then uh, they will dismiss you. And then they will discuss your what you said and things like that. And then they will vote whether to receive you in the membership or not. If they don't receive you in the membership, they're not going to just say, we're not going to receive you in the membership. They're going to say, this is what our concerns are. And then they give you an opportunity to resolve those things. And they may call you back in and just say, hey, you know, I, we had some questions. We didn't ask you the first time, but we asked you again. And, you know, so they want to work towards helping you to become a member of Kirk of the Plains and stuff like that. And then after you uh, interview with the elders, at that point in time, you actually become a member of Kirk of the Plains. Uh, now, if you're a member of another church, we need that letter of transfer. So what they'll do is they will uh, they will receive you as a member contingent upon that letter of transfer. In other words, when that letter of transfer comes in, then you can become a member. But as far as they're concerned, unless there's something where the church comes back and says, oh, no, you can't receive them as a member. They're under discipline here. You know, as long as nothing like that happens, then you will become a member when we get that letter of transfer. Uh, if you're not a member of another church, we can just receive you on your professional faith. And then once you've done that, then as, as Matthew talks about, you need to be willing to profess your faith before man as well. So we have you come up before the congregation and we ask you the five questions in membership. And you say, I do. I agree to those things. And you make that public profession before the congregation. Now, fortunately, we're 29 in number. And not 290 or 2,900, you know. So it's a much smaller group. It makes it a little bit more friendly. And you know everybody. So it's not quite as bad as what it could be in another congregation. But anyway, so that's sort of the, the, the process for, for membership. If you want to go ahead and do that. If you're not ready, that's fine. So, yes. This will probably take place at our house just because we don't have a building yet. So, yeah, we'll do that. So... Anything else? Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. With meeting with the front elders, like a couple, we meet as a couple, or we meet as individuals? 
probably usually couples we take together. You know, sometimes with kids, elders will do it uh, separate, like brothers and sisters, just because they don't want one to copy the other one. (laughs) Sometimes you sort of hear the same words and you're thinking, okay, do they really think this or do they just listen to their older sister and just gave me the words that they gave? So sometimes they'll do that separate for, you know, those that um, are a little bit younger. But like I, I would... Wouldn't be surprised if, like you guys, they could do together, you know, or whatever. But uh, you're older. But anyway. all right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the leadership and the men that you have placed over us. And God, we do pray that you would help us as a congregation to get to know these men better as we as we move on. That we would have opportunities to sit and talk with them. But Lord, even though we don't know them, we know what kind of men they are. We know that you have made them spiritual leaders over your church. And so we pray for them and lift them up and pray that their task of overseeing Kirk of the Plains would be a joyful and a good thing. That, Lord, that as we do uh, get to set up these interviews, that uh, folks would really have a, a good interaction with these elders and be able to convey truly, Lord, the faith that they see that you have given them in their hearts. And uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, I will say this. Uh, I asked for sort of a, a special dispensation since we had so many of you that were wanting to join. If we could maybe just have like uh, a person meet with just a couple of elders. Typically you meet with all the elders. Some churches do it when they divide you up with a couple. And actually our elders said, no, we actually want to meet with the entire session with each person. Because they said, we want to get to know your people. So they, they really are very zealous to, to know you better as well. Because they didn't want to just meet one of you and have somebody else meet another one. They all wanted to meet you. So I saw that as a very good sign. And I appreciate that. Because some, in certain, some church planning situations, the, the elders are very distant. And I know our elders desire to be closer to you guys. So I think we're the 18th or December 12th. It'll be the 18th or the 12th. Assuming it's your house. Yeah. 10 to, 10 to 12. It'll be. Yeah. It, well, I have 10. I have 10:30 to 12:30, 10 something like that. But anyway, I uh, with the uh, I, I'm gonna just sort of communicate and confirm that time with them. But I know that like the Pettits and Katie and Mark are uh, gone on vacation, so. We've actually locked in a couple places for them on the 12th if they want that. And then, uh, let's see here. And I know we got you guys' letter of transfers already, so we're good to go with you guys. So I want to make sure that we do honor that with Trinity and get you guys uh, a, a slot. So maybe Saturday would work. Yeah, can we go, I mean, like 11 to 12 sometime around that area? Okay. We have to go with- yeah, no, 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 that's fine. And I'm happy hunting in the morning. That's fine. <laughs> oh. Just got to give me a I just want to make sure you have your priorities right now. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm just kidding. I'll make sure I'm there. I just no, want to no. give me a little bummer. Yeah, no, no, no. That's fine. We can, we can talk. No, I, I, yeah, we want to work this out. And if, if the times aren't quite just, you know, perfect and we need to tweak them a little bit, that's that's fine. You know, with the Tuesday night thing, Brian Huff, I know, is coming from Manhattan. So he's traveling two and a half hours. To come down here, so that's why I sort of picked an 8:30 cutoff time because 
I figured he's going to get home at 11 o'clock. So I wanted to be sure. Like six o'clock. Well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna probably start at six o'clock, but we probably won't start interviews till six thirty, six forty-five, something like that, because we have some we have some business that we have to take care of too. So, uh, yeah. What was the time to get to the Saturday? Uh, like ten thirty to twelve thirty is what it's I told them. Yeah, it's on it's on the Facebook page. So, anyway, okay. Well, I'll email them this afternoon, let them know that Saturday and that Tuesday works, and and then uh, if you guys will either. Tell me after the service, or email me, or text me, or something, and just let me know what dates. You know, then I'll know how much time. And just let me know specifically who in your family, yeah, you know, you're wanting to be community members and stuff like that. Because you know, if it's something where you're transferring from another church, lots of times that doesn't take as long as it does somebody who is first becoming a community member. If they're going from being a non-community to a community member, sometimes that takes a little bit longer. The elders want to examine a little bit more carefully. So uh, if you're wanting to do that, or if you want to talk to the communicants class, you know, then we can uh, we can get those younger folks come in later too. So anybody can talk about that. All right, great, thank you guys.